Welcome to the Sons of Saturday Virginia Tech Hoops pod. My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm joined by Ed Williams. And Ed, I'm trying to figure out now if Virginia Tech is just good or if they're just shooting the ball well. I mean, we're, we're at this juncture, right, this point of the season where Virginia Tech needs every win they can get. You know, we were talking to Robert Irby about this last week. The margin for error is so thin for this program right now but it does feel like Tech is playing their best basketball of the year. Yeah, they have to be. They're playing their most balanced basketball of the year by far. Um, the offensive versatility has been – it's been a significant shift, I think, in philosophy. And Mike Young touched on that a little bit after the pick game, um, where early in the year they were just playing so heavily through the front court and through Justin Mott and Kevin Aluma. And now um, it's much more balanced, and you're seeing guys – you know, who weren't very involved early in the year have a pretty high level of success and Sean Padula and Darius Maddox, um, which has in turn opened up the floor for better shots for Naheem Aline and Hunter Couture and Storm Murphy's playing his best ball. Uh, he looks the most comfortable he's looked all year at this level. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there's reason for optimism, but at the same time, um, it's hard to not pump the brakes a little bit after wins against teams that were not frankly very good um you know these next two are against teams that are very comparable to virginia tech in terms of their place in the standings and it'll i think it'll be a really telltale sign as to if this team has what it takes to climb what was a very steep mountain and make it back into postseason play yeah i mean i think especially coming off of the miami loss it it felt like virginia tech was playing well but at the same time, it was like, man, is this too big of a hole now? You know, Virginia Tech, after that Miami game, had lost three straight. Obviously, that buzzer beater to Miami, North Carolina, just kind of pulled away in the second half of the BC game. It was just an extreme letdown on the road in Chestnut Hill, especially with the way I'd say the last four or five minutes of the first half went pretty much the entirety of the second half. Virginia Tech just didn't play very well. But I, I think offensively, over the last six games, you know, dating back to that North Carolina game on the road, I, I do feel like Virginia Tech's offense has been playing a lot better. And I think a lot of it does have to do with the versatility that you were talking about and that Mike Young's acknowledged where, yeah, Virginia Tech is playing through their backcourt a little bit more. You know, they're, they're running offense off the wing. They're, they're not necessarily just dumping it into Aluma and Mutz and then having them pound it three times into the floor and put up a contested jumper, you know, or contested, you know, layup or, you know, whatever that may be. Uh, Virginia Tech still struggles with turnovers. Justin Mutz has been turning the ball over a pretty decent amount still. Um, and, and it's clear that that's something he needs to continue to work on and something that, you know, I think is a consequence of playing through the post a little bit. But it's not like Virginia Tech can avoid that completely. You know, Mutz and Aluma are competent offensive players. But, you know, if there's one area where I think Virginia Tech still needs to improve, it, it's on the turnover front where, look, when Mike Young was hired, one of the big elements that he talked about was, I'm going to play the guys who protect the basketball. That's mostly true, but Justin Mutz has struggled with it lately. And, you know, that's something he needs to clean up because defensively he's been pretty solid. He obviously brings the toughness to the lineup that we've talked about ever since he's been there. But turnovers have been an issue for this offense, which is wild because Tech is averaging almost 80 points per game over the last four. Yeah, they're filling it up from three from pretty much all five positions. Um, almost no matter who's in the game, because we've even seen David Gasson hit some threes at this point. 
Um, yeah, the Justin Mutz turnovers, I think it's just times when he's trying to do a little too much. He's a very, very good passer from the four spot. Um, he actually leads the team in assists per game. Um, but yeah, he's a very good passer. And, you know, we need that in our offense, the ability to kick it back out once it gets inside uh, to our, you know, fantastic shooters and Couture and Murphy and Maddox and Padula and Aline. I mean, all those guys shoot around or above 40% from three. Um, you know, you got Sean Padula shooting 62% from three and Darius Maddox shooting 50% from three. So um, playing inside out has been definitely a strength of this winning stretch. Um, even going back to, I would say, the Miami game on that last second loss, you know, the, the offensive philosophy then started to shift. We've talked about that on a previous podcast. So um, Justin Mutz is a huge part of this team. The turnovers are, you know, you want to do away with that. He's averaging two and a half turnovers a game, which is a team high, which, you know, is not sustainable. Um, but for some reason, he's the guy who's asked to make a lot of playmaking type passes and that's why you see him leading in assists but also leading in turnovers so I think he'll get better I mean he's he's quietly so important to this team he leads this team in rebounds assists steals blocks and is second in field goal percentage only behind John Ogiaco he's so good. <laughs> for guys for, for guys who play as many minutes as he does play which he's you know just under 30 minutes a night um he's doing it all he's kind of like Draymond Green back on those Warriors teams he's doing everything that the shooters aren't going to do and in turn, it's allowing for some remarkable shooting performances over this past couple of weeks in the winning stretch. So uh, more to come from him, hopefully just cut down those turnovers. And then a piece of this that I wasn't sure how it was going to go once the offensive philosophy kind of changed was what happens to Kevin Aluma? Does he sulk? And, you know, is he upset that he doesn't get as many design plays that are touches for him in the paint and ISO plays? Because there haven't been as many. Um, but, you know, he's actually, you know, had nights where he was kind of uh, not all there, but then, you know, he comes back with the game against Pitt and has 20 plus points and uh, he's still averaging 15 on the year. Um, so he's, you know, continued to be a really good offensive weapon for this team and he'll have to be going forward against uh, Syracuse and UVA. So hopefully there's more to come on the bigs. We can't completely phase them out, but these guys are shooting it. So keep shooting. It's a really important three game stretch coming up home games against Syracuse, UVA, and North Carolina. Obviously, a considerable step up in competition from Georgia Tech and back-to-back games against Pittsburgh. I want to talk about the bench real quick because I think if Virginia Tech wants to keep this going against Syracuse, UVA, and North Carolina here over the next three games, I think the, the bench production is going to have to be a large part of it. Um, Darius Maddox is playing about 10 or 11 more minutes per game now than he was earlier in the year. He's gone from three points per game to a little over eight now, um, you know, since he's gotten that increase in playing time, he's playing really well. And Sean Padula is playing really well. And I think David Gusan is the guy who's being overlooked because everybody is so concerned about what Sean Padula is doing because everybody loves Sean Padula. Everybody loves Darius Maddox. Nobody's talking about David Gusan. He's been great. Um, he was really good, I thought, the other night against Pittsburgh on Monday night in the, in the second game of the back-to-back. He was fantastic. And I think he's been giving Virginia Tech good minutes now over the last five games. He's kind of like the forgotten guy. But when I look at it, I mean, he's been as important as either one of the other two bench guys. Everybody loves talking about Maddox and Padula. I mean, he's probably in a lot of ways been more important just because of the lack of depth in the front court. Uh, When Aluma or Mutz get in foul trouble, which is almost inevitable that every night one of the two of them is going to be in first half foul trouble. Uh, Gassan's shown 
nothing but the ability to step right in and play good ball on both ends of the floor, on the glass, blocking shots, uh, even knocking down threes. Um, so we've seen glimpses of what we had heard about heading into the year with him where, you know, his game has evolved. Um, and I, I mean, it's pretty remarkable and a credit to the staff that Padula, Gasan, and Maddox have been able to all jump in to a heavier minutes load and thrive. Um, all of those guys have done really well. You would think if you throw three basically freshmen into, you know, double digit minutes, all of a sudden, at least one of them wouldn't play well, but all three have played really well um, at various points in time. Darius Maddox's game is remarkably fun to watch. Um, he can get that jump shot off out of nowhere and it's lightning fast and he is shooting the ball so well. Um, 52% from the floor. And like I said earlier, that's super high three-point percentage at 50% as well. Um, every time he shoots the ball, you think it's going to go in. And then, yeah, the, the fan favorite, Sean Padula, uh, continues to get better. It, it, it's a nice change of pace from Storm Murphy because Padula's willingness to push the ball um, has opened up a lot of things for this team in spurts that the first half of the year when he wasn't playing, uh, everything was in the half court. And now all of a sudden there's a slight resemblance of a transition offense that we didn't have before. Um, so, yeah, I think all three have played really good ball recently. And I think it's directly, you know, their increase in minutes directly correlates to the better basketball this team has been playing, without a doubt. I'm trying to figure out if Mike Young wants to make this a nine-man rotation or not. I mean, Oshiako played seven minutes on Monday night against Pittsburgh, and he's been sprinkled in here or there. But I feel like it's almost like he's playing out of necessity right now, which may be his role moving forward. That might be it. But I am wondering now, as Virginia Tech starts to play better basketball with their eight core guys, the five starters, and Padula, Maddox, and David Gusan coming off the bench, I do wonder if Mike Young considers playing John Ojiako a little bit more. If he tries to expand the rotation by one more guy, or if it's just going to be out of necessity when there's foul trouble. I think right now it's probably just out of necessity. Um, and that's the reason why he played seven minutes the other night. But I thought Ojiako gave Tech good minutes on Monday night when he was in the game. Yeah, I mean, he just is a little – he just looks a little lost sometimes. Um, you know, he's definitely shown signs of improvement when he has gotten extended minutes. But I think for games that aren't, you know, 20-point differentials in the second half, um, it's an eight-man rotation, and you're not going to see a whole lot of John Ojiako. But, I mean, you think about the games coming up, especially Virginia. We, we got dominated on the interior against Virginia. Um, might be a spot where you can throw John Ojiaco in there and let him rough it up defensively uh, and, you know, save some fouls for Aluma or Mutz in spot situations. Because, you know, with the games we've lost, especially Virginia, UNC, Boston College, have been games where we've just gotten beaten up on the interior. And, you know, he's a very large presence on the inside. Um, and, you know, if he can – continue to make strides offensively to the point that he's serviceable. You would think that his physical presence on the defensive end would be something that the staff would want to try to insert into the lineup against these bigger teams that we have coming up. All right. So Syracuse is coming up on Saturday. Virginia Tech last played Monday. They have essentially four full days off. They play Syracuse at home on Saturday evening. This is a pretty big game, Ed, for obviously tournament implications, getting back to 500 in the ACC. There's there's a lot going on here. But Virginia Tech always seems to struggle against the Syracuse zone defense, right? And 
there have been times where Virginia Tech has struggled against the trap this year when they played, when they've seen an extended zone trap. We've seen Virginia Tech struggle a little bit here and there. Um, Syracuse doesn't trap a lot, at least past, past half-court defense. Um, they don't extend that out too far, but there are trapping elements that match up zone that I do find a little bit concerning offensively for Virginia Tech this weekend. I think that Mike Young will try to use Justin Mutz as the middleman to try to break down the zone. We talked about his passing. That's what makes the most sense to me. Um, I understand you want to get the ball in Kevin Aluma's hands because I think if you had to pick between Aluma and Mutz, offensively, you'd take Aluma's game. But I think getting the ball to Mutz in the middle of that zone defense will be where Virginia Tech has the most success on Saturday because of his ability as a passer. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that will definitely be Justin Mutz's role. Um, back when the Buzz Williams era, that was Chris Clark's thing. Um, and then later on, you know, Ty Outlaw did that a little bit, but that was really Chris Clark's game. Um, and his game was similar to Justin Mutz. So I think that that role will definitely fill by Justin Mutz. Uh, with a Luma on the baseline or in spurts Gasan on the baseline, um, something he's actually very good at, which is you know, scrapping underneath and making layups. So I could see Gasan having a little bit of success against Syracuse. But the biggest thing is once you get it inside, can Justin Mutz make the right decisions, not turn the ball over, um, and you know have one of those you know seven eight assist nights we've seen from him before? Because God knows we have plenty of shooters around the outside to knock it down once the ball does get it you know, get into the paint. Um, but yeah, the whole name of the game against that zone is that middleman acting as a trigger and can he make the right decisions uh, once he gets the ball in the paint? And if he can, I think we're, we're going to have a lot of guys with a lot of open looks. Um, and that, that bodes very well for the Virginia Tech offense with, with the level of shooting that this team does have in the perimeter. So yeah, I agree. I think it'll be Mutz on the interior and, you know, keeping turnovers down is going to be huge in this game, especially from Mutz, uh, Murphy, and Padula. Uh, can't turn the ball over against the Syracuse team that also shoots the ball extremely well, uh, similarly to Virginia Tech. Um, it, it, it's a, I don't like playing them. It's not fun to watch. It's kind of like Virginia. It's just boring basketball to watch. But, man, if it isn't successful. So I understand why they keep doing it. Syracuse center Jesse Edwards, who's been playing really good basketball for them, is out for the year. He just had wrist surgery, so that's a pretty significant loss for them. You know, we talk about the big men for Virginia Tech and their ability offensively in this game coming up on Saturday, um, not having to go up against Jesse Edwards is going to be pretty significant. He's been one of the more improved players in the ACC this year. So pretty significant loss for the Orange this week and Virginia Tech not having to go up against him um, with what he's provided for them offensively lately. I, I think it's definitely helpful. Um, don't want to see him hurt, of course, but uh, it comes at a good time if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're looking for wins. Um, that makes it a little bit easier on you. I mean, I... I get the Tech plays UVA on Monday, but this Syracuse game just feels so much bigger than that UVA game, which seems weird to say um, because UVA's arrival, because Virginia Tech lost to UVA early in the year, because this game is at home. But this Syracuse game, I just feel like is so important going, you know, keep continuing the momentum, number one, and then being able to go into that game on Monday night against UVA. Um, you know, with some confidence, you know, the fact that Virginia Tech, if, if they're able to win this game against Syracuse on Saturday, they'll be winners of five straight games going into that UVA game. It is a big rematch, but Syracuse, I think, from a matchup standpoint, um, I, I think they provide more issues for Virginia Tech than UVA does. The style of play is just so different. 
Syracuse, we know they got a bunch of shooters, um, you know, that can fill it up. The two Bayheim kids can shoot the absolute lights out of the gym. Uh, so th- this is not an easy game for Virginia Tech on Saturday. Um, I know fans will, will take a look at that UVA game on Monday, and that'll be a big game too, but Tech's got to get past Syracuse first. It just, just feels like such a massive game this weekend. Ed. Yeah, it does have a really oddly large feeling to it, um, but I think it is due to the you know lack of success in the past against the Syracuse zone and um, the fact that we played Virginia well. I mean, we played them well in, in Charlottesville. That was a very winnable game. Um, Mike Young has had success against UVA in his short time so far at Virginia Tech. So I think there's less concern against a more traditional opponent in Virginia than there is against Syracuse, which is a team that Virginia Tech has struggled with and a zone that uh, can present some difficulty. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I, for some reason, you're right. The Syracuse game has a bigger feel to it, but both massively important. You know, you got seven games left. Um, you're hovering right around 500 in conference. I think you have to finish at least five and two to even have a conversation. Um, so yeah, both these games are huge. All the home games are huge, uh, especially against teams in Syracuse and Virginia, who you stack up similarly to in the standings. So um, in terms of battling for a tournament spot with an ACC team, you know, these are the ones that are in that conversation right there with you in the standings right now. So um, taking them both would be massive, but that's obviously, you know, Captain Obvious right there, you know, winning both these games would be huge. But, uh, yeah, both both teams provide interesting uh, puzzles to solve, especially defensively with the way they both play. Uh, but I think Virginia Tech is in a position right now where they're playing their best ball. Um, they're playing the most amount of guys they've played. And in result of that has been just more sustained success from one through eight, and it's not really just two guys anymore. It's everybody's involved. Everyone's touching the ball. Assists are much higher. Shooting the ball really well as a result. And, you know, two huge games. But I think you got to start out right with Syracuse. Um, that zone's annoying. But I think Virginia Tech's in a position right now playing their best ball of the year where, uh, you know, if we were playing Syracuse a month ago, I'd obviously feel a lot worse than I do right now. Yeah, when Tech had 10 games remaining on the schedule, Ed, I think you and I said seven and three at worst, eight and two, ideally, would be what Virginia Tech would have to go down the stretch to get themselves back in tournament conversation. Well, you know, Tech does have seven games left here. Tech's 3 0 in that t- final 10 game stretch. The next seven are huge. The next three in particular are real big. But, you know, having these games at home, I think if Virginia Tech is able to come out of the stretch two and one, you're still feeling pretty good about things um, in terms of Virginia Tech's ability to claw their way back into the bubble or onto the bubble. Um, I don't know. This just feels like, this feels like a team right now that is definitely playing its best basketball of the year. And I'm still trying to figure out if it's just, yeah, they're playing better offensively or they just happen to be shooting it better. And I just think the versatility, Ed, to your point, like, I think the versatility is what's making this offense better as a whole, um, because even when the shots aren't necessarily falling for a few possessions, it does feel like Virginia Tech's getting good looks, um, better looks offensively than they got earlier in the year. It's it's less of the uh, dump it into uh, Mutz and Aluma and hope they are able to provide offense. It's less of the, oh, my God, we got five seconds left on the shot clock, give it to a lean and hope he, hope he figures it out. It's a lot less of that going on. Um, Virginia Tech is now to the point in their offense for the last five or six games where they're passing up good shots for better shots. 
And that's something we really have not seen earlier in the year. Um, it was a struggle to produce offense for basically half of the season for tech. And now it's, okay, we have good offense. Can we find great offense on this possession? Which it's been so much more fun to watch. And hopefully Virginia Tech's able to keep that going against better competition. Um, and hopefully this isn't just because Tech's been playing Georgia Tech and, and Pittsburgh, right? But it was encouraging that we were starting to see that sort of thing against North Carolina and, and Miami, even though the results didn't necessarily go the way that Virginia Tech wanted. Yeah, so I'll try to lay this out as best as I can. So you touched on a lot of things right there that I think all are intertwined. So we're playing more guys, which is leading the offense to be more versatile and multidimensional, which is leading to better shots, which is leading to better shooting percentages. So it really all starts with the fact that we're all of a sudden playing Gasson, Padula, Maddox. Those guys got to a point in their game and their maturity where that we could put them on the floor for what we already knew was a good offensive skill set. But we can put them on the floor defensively and they're not a liability. That has opened everything up for everybody else. Um, those guys are particularly, you know, Padula and Maddox have been playing extremely high level in the offensive end and have not been a liability on the defensive end. And it's opened things up for Couture and it's opened things up for Aluma. And it's opened up a lot of free shots on the perimeter um, the ability to move the ball around, the ability to penetrate, which opens up the perimeter, all these things have led to better shots. And in turn, we're shooting the ball really well because we already knew that all these guys could shoot extremely high levels. We knew Hunter Couture was, you know, a world-class shooter. Um, we knew Naheem Malin could shoot at a high percentage. Um, and we've even seen it more from Storm Murphy as he gets more wide open shots as a result of the dribble penetration and just the more multi-dimensional offense that this team has been able to play with over the last month. Um, it all starts, I think, in my opinion, with the ability to play eight guys confidently and lead to a more multi-dimensional offensive attack, which has opened up shots for good shooters. And, you know, that's the whole name of the game in the Mike Young offense is getting guys who can shoot the ball at a high level, good looks. And they've done that in the last month and it's translated to wins. It's translated to more, um, 40-minute performances, less of those 35-minute performances we were seeing leading up to that, uh, where the team just would pound it inside the last five and couldn't score and would lose as a result. Uh, we're playing more complete basketball right now, and it's resulting in wins. And I think, you know, I'm very cautiously optimistic for the remainder of the season in the final seven games. I think there's every team on here on the schedule the rest of the way is extremely beatable, um, especially if Virginia Tech keeps playing the way they have moving forward. I've I have no doubts that they can go, you know, that six and one, five and two um, and push their way into this conversation. But, you know, it's a tough mountain to climb. So I don't want to, you know, I, I want to try to speak it into existence without jinxing it, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, and, you know, even in this win streak, we have seen, you know, stretches of play for Virginia Tech where the basketball hasn't been as pretty as it's been for the better part of the last couple of weeks. Um, second half of the Pittsburgh game over the weekend, the one on the road, um, the first of the two Pittsburgh games, really poor second half for Virginia Tech defensively, right? And Pittsburgh crawled their way right back into that game, and it was more interesting than it had to be in the last four minutes. Um, Virginia Tech had a huge lead in the first half of that game. Um, offensively, everything was going right. Pittsburgh missed literally every shot they looked at in the first half, it felt like. And 
you know, law of averages kind of evened out a bit in the second half. Virginia Tech didn't play as well defensively. But on top of that, Pittsburgh just made more shots and they weren't making the first half too. And Virginia Tech's got to keep trying to put together a full 40 minutes of basketball. I thought Tech did a better job of that uh, on Monday night against Pittsburgh in the second of the two matchups there against the Panthers. Uh, I'm just really glad we're not talking about one of these games being a loss to Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh's just not very good. Yeah, I mean, there's a very realistic chance we look back at the Boston College and the Miami game and we're like, ah, that was the one that got away that, you know, derailed the entire tournament resume. But um, fortunately for us, all the ranking systems and analytics uh, are still pretty high on this team. Um, and I, I mean, you look at the schedule, man, the rest of the way out, you took care of business these last four. Um, one, one that you probably weren't expected to, and then took care of business again, three straight against teams that you were uh, thought to be superior to. And now you look ahead and you got Syracuse, Virginia, Carolina, Georgia Tech, Miami, Louisville, Clemson. All those teams are, in my opinion, on par or a step below Virginia Tech. Um, Syracuse and Virginia, uh, any given night, are as good, if not a little bit better than Virginia Tech it really just depends on the night um, just like it does across all of college basketball but on by large at the year they've been very similar to Virginia Tech um, North Carolina you know they present unique mat matchup issues for this team just with Armando Baycott alone but I also view them as a very beatable team as well uh, Georgia Tech we've already taken care of business once Miami we lost on a half court buzzer beater uh, and then Louisville doesn't have a coach and Clemson is very very hit or miss so there's a real path here to go. That five and two is the number I have in my head where I think if we go five and two, we're in that conversation. Um, continue to, to, you know, do what has gotten you to this point in the last, you know, two and a half, three weeks, which is versatility and multi-dimensional offensive play along with, um, you know, I think what's been better defense as well. And I think you'll find yourself in that conversation on selection, selection Sunday, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, especially with the margin for error being so thin here um, over the last month or so of the season. All right, Ed, what else? I mean, this is a really important three-game stretch. Can't emphasize that enough. Syracuse, UVA, UNC are the next three. We'll come back and talk after the UVA game uh, next Monday night, kind of see where things are at after this two-game stretch. Uh, realistically, I guess, against Syracuse and UVA, what are you anticipating record-wise? What's, what's your guess? Do you think Tech splits? Do you think they take both? Do you think they lose both? I think they win both. Um, I think the emergence of Sean Padula and Darius Maddox is something that, uh, for one, this team didn't have when they played Virginia the first time. Those two guys weren't really playing much. Uh, I do think they've provided an element on offense that's just a change of pace, a little bit quicker, um, more athletic, uh, highly skilled guys that could present some problems for Virginia. Um, and then Syracuse, I think the loss of Edwards for them on the inside will bode really well for Mutz and Aluma. Um, and they'll be able to get the ball inside and open things up for the shooters on the outside. I think Virginia Tech can get out of Castle on, Sunday, on Saturday with a win. So I think you're 2-0 after these next two. Um, and then it just gets really interesting from there. But uh, if we're 2-0 next time we talk, uh, that's going to be a really, really fun conversation to have. If we're 2-0 the next time we talk in the stretch, um, Virginia Tech will be 8-7 in the ACC and right back on the bubble. I mean, I, I think if you beat Syracuse UVA, you're, you're, back, you're back in the mix. Um, you're over 500 in the ACC, which 
was unfathomable two and a half weeks ago. Um, that would mean the tech the tech has now won six in a row. It means that Tech's got UNC, Georgia Tech, Miami, Louisville, and Clemson remaining. There are a bunch of winnable games in that stretch, but a bunch, bunch of teams that are quality opponents too, where Virginia Tech could continue to build their resume if they're able to get back to 500 or a game over 500 in the ACC. So it'll be interesting next time we talk, Ed. Um, this has been fun. Tech is rolling right now. Let's see if they keep it going this weekend. Big game against Syracuse on Saturday. Perhaps a, a game that's just as big on Monday night. Um, this is where, if Virginia Tech wants to get back into a tournament discussion, this is where it happens. You've got to win these games. Um, and this is what happens when you lose to Boston College and you lose to Miami. Right? you, you got to now win these games down the stretch in pressure-packed situations. But Tech's got them at home. We'll see if they win. Um, but, yeah, Ed, we'll talk next week. Mm-hmm.